Bibles, if you would, to Esther chapter 8. <clears throat> Esther chapter 8, if you're using the uh, Bibles there in the chairs, it's page 327. I'm about to make a statement that on, on the surface you would think, uh, well, duh. <laughs> but uh, the, the, the statement is this. Um, because I'm a pastor, I know lots of pastors. What did you, I mean, you know, duh, really? Okay. But <clears throat> even one of the misnomers among many people is that pastors have an easy life. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a joke that floats around the clergy that says that, oh, you only work one day a week and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, <laughs> And uh, boy, I wish that were true. But the the reality is pastors face hardship and struggle just like everybody else does. In fact, in some cases, it's, it's it's even worse. I have a pastor friend, a very, very good friend of mine, that found out he has a very aggressive form of colon cancer and last Friday he went to the doctor to find out what his treatment options are and prior to between the time he found out that he had this aggressive form of cancer and his appointment uh, well, actually, it was it was the day he found out about the cancer. I I texted him and I I said, hey, I'm praying for you. Uh, and and this is what he wrote back to me. I I went back into the history of my text and I and this is this is what he texted me. <clears throat> he said, no matter what happens, I want Christ to be seen in my life. That that's a that's an incredible attitude. Another pastor friend of mine, uh, a week ago yesterday, lost his 20-year-old son in a hunting accident. His brother held him in his arms as he died. At the funeral service that was held last Friday, this pastor friend of mine, the father of the deceased boy, stood and this is what he said. He said, I cannot explain where it has come from, but we have peace. I watched his fiance. The, the young man who died had been engaged to be married for two weeks. And his fiance stood and gave tribute to this young man and how his life had impacted many for the cause of Christ. The pastor that did the, the funeral service Many of you know he was here a year ago for our anniversary a year ago, uh, Jim Davidson. 
Pastor Davidson uh, called me, or, or no, I called him, excuse me. I called him and we were, we were talking and he said to me, he says, what do I say? I've never done a funeral for somebody so young. And my, my reply to him was very simple. Give the people lots of hope. That caused me, the events, the events of the last week or two have caused me this week to ask myself this question, where is my hope? And when you say, well, pastor, you're a pastor. Your hope has to be in God. Well, you know what? I'm sorry, but it's not always in God. I'm just being transparent this morning. Because if you're so pious that you think that your trust is always in God, then, then you're fooling yourself. And, and I think that events like this coming into our lives cause us sometimes to recalibrate our thinking, does it not? And realize that our hope can never be in us, but it's got to be in Him. The message this morning, very simply, and you've probably already guessed it, is where is your hope? Ask yourself that question. Where is your hope? If it is in something eternal, if it is in God, if your hope is in the, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, then your hope is in the right place. But if your hope is, is, is something that's, that's temporal, I certainly hope that your hope is not in our government. I don't care what party you're from. It, it doesn't matter. See, our hope needs to be eternal. We have been looking at the, the book of Esther for several weeks now, and <clears throat> the story of Esther is a great story. Uh, <clears throat> it has all the elements of a good story. It has, a, it has the villain, uh, who, his name is Haman. Uh, it has the good guy, his name is Mordecai. Uh, the hero is a lady named Esther, i.e. The, the name of the book, Esther. Uh, it has um, intrigue and mystery, and 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 the really probably the best thing about the story of Esther is the good guys win. You know, uh, <clears throat> I love watching old black and white westerns. You know why? Because the good guy always wins. I don't care what happens during the story; you will always know the good guy is going to prevail. But so often, and we've talked about this for, for weeks, and so, but so often with the book of Esther, we get so caught up in the story that we forget why God gave us the story. The purpose of the, of the book of Esther is to remind us of the providence or the sovereignty of God. The fact that God is in control. 
Repeat after me. God is in control. One more time. God is in control. No matter what is going on, no matter what the circumstances of life look like, because if you if 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 the book of Esther is not familiar to you, let me encourage you to go back and read it. Because through the book of Esther, it 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 seems the circumstances of life seem hopeless. But God is in control. And if you are not going through a trial right now, I'm here to tell you, uh, you will. It's part of life. Trials and struggles are part of life. But as we are reminded in the book of Esther that God is in control, it helps us put in perspective where our hope is. Our hope has to be in God. Our hope has to be in the fact that God is in control. Let's start reading Esther chapter 8 and verse 1. On that day did the king Ahasuerus give the house of Haman, uh, the Jew, uh, uh, the Jews' enemy unto Esther the queen, and Mordecai came before the king, and Esther told what he was unto her. In other words, on the day, on that day, it starts off by saying, on that day, on, what what day? Uh, the day that Haman, the bad guy, died. On that day, that very day that he died, <clears throat> uh, the king gave all of his property and all of his wealth to Queen Esther. And then the queen then tells the king her relationship with Mordecai that they were cousins. And verse 2, And the king took off his ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. So here we see the good guy, Mordecai, uh, becoming the, the new prime minister and replacing Haman, the bad guy. The good guy wins. Esther inherits his great estate, gives basically the management of the estate over to uh, Mordecai. And many times in our lives, as we look around, we see things that can feel like injustices. What what do I mean by that? I mean that, you know, don't we oftentimes see bad people uh, getting away with hurting other people? Sometimes we see stingy or mean people taking advantage of the vulnerable. Sometimes we even see the wicked doing horrible things. And we get this we get this idea in our minds that sometimes, you know, why is God not punishing that individual? Why why is why is why are they allowed to get away with that? In Psalm chapter 37, verses 40, uh, excuse me, 34 to 36, it says, Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee uh, uh, to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it 
I have seen the wicked in great power and spread himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, for he could not be found. What is God saying to us here in Psalm chapter 37? Let, let me kind of bring it into 21st century vernacular. What God is saying is, wait on me. I'll take care of it. See, God has a far better way of dealing with the hearts of men than we do. You know, think about this for, for just a second. Who knows, <clears throat> who knows the, the heart of men better, you or God? God does. Did I give you the first point? Nope. Okay. <clears throat> Let me, I, I, I passed over it. Uh, point number one is Mordecai is promoted. Okay. Very, uh, pretty obvious. But see, God is in control, and if we believe that God is in control, then we have to understand and believe that he knows best. Does he not? And there, were, there are times in, in our story at the book of Esther where it seems like, again, please use, understand the word seems. It seems like the bad guy is winning, and the good guy is losing. And it's easy for us to sit and, and to think, and especially when it is involved in our own lives, it's easy for us to get consumed and think, where is God in all of this? Where is, where is God? Why isn't he doing something? But if God is in control... What must we do? Wait. Now, how many of you like waiting for anything? None of us. Not, not one of us. But God in Psalm chapter 37 is telling us to wait. Wait on the Lord. This, this story happens to end with the, the bad guy dying and the good guy winning. But I, I'm here to tell you that's not always reality, is it? There are times, and, and we've all experienced it, where faithful Christians are not always promoted or, or given special honor, are they? I don't know about you, but I know when I was in the workforce, when I oftentimes, when I would stand up for my faith and take a stand and, and tell people that worked around me, hey, don't talk like that around me. Oftentimes, I was the one that was ridiculed, not them. Oftentimes, I was the one that was passed over for promotions. But you know what? That's okay. Because God is in control. And it, there are times where it seems like the wicked are, are winning. But you know what? Let, let me tell you. I read the last chapter, and guess what? We win. In Psalm chapter 23, 
verse 4. See, God, God never promises anybody an easy life. God never promises a, a believer in, in him that your life is going to be a bowl of cherries. Now, where did that phrase ever come from anyway? That's about the stupidest. Anyway, because <clears throat> cherries get eaten, so I, I, don't, know, I don't understand. Anyway, um, but see, God never promises us a, a, a life of leisure. If anything, what does he tell us? He tells us, look, life is going to be full of valleys. And as I was thinking this week about the funeral service for this 20-year-old 20, 20 uh, young man, the, the thought of Psalm chapter 23, verse 4 came to me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. What is God saying here? You know what? The reality of life is this, plain and simple. You're going to have struggles. At one time or another, every one of us is going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That does not say we're, we're, we're going to die, but we're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And what is the promise of God in that? that he will, he will help us walk around it? No. That when we walk through it, he will be with us. See, that's the promise. The promise isn't a, an absence of trouble. The promise is when trouble comes, I will be there. Point number two, we see Esther's plea. Let's look at verse three. And Esther spake yet again before the king and fell down at his feet and besought him with tears and put away uh, the mischief of, uh, to put away the mischief of Haman the Agagite and his device that he had de uh, devised against the Jews. <coughs> Excuse me. Then the king held out a golden scepter toward Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, uh, if it please the king, and if I have found favor in, in, in his sight, and the thing seem right before the king, and I be pleasing in his eyes. Now, is she buttering him up for something? I, I don't know. I'm just saying. Uh, let it be written uh, to reverse the letter devised by Haman, the son of uh, Hamanatha, the Agagite, uh, which he wrote to destroy the Jews, which are in the, the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see evil that shall come unto my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? Esther was safe in the palace. There's no question in my mind that had, had things not changed, that she would have been safe in the palace. She also had become very, very wealthy. Uh, Haman, uh, in today's society, probably would have been considered a billionaire, uh, if not at least a multimillionaire. And she got all of that. The king just gave it all to her. But you and I both know 
that true peace and contentment has nothing to do with the almighty dollar. See, true peace and contentment has nothing to do with money. True peace and contentment can only come from God. Haman had put in place a scheme to eliminate 15 million Jews. Think about that. In the the, the days of Hitler, uh, what we call the Holocaust, the estimated number of Jews that were killed in the Holocaust is about 6 million Jews. Here Haman had put in place a plan to eliminate 15 million Jews. And the, 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 the cog in the wheel, if you would, was the fact that the Medes and Persians had a law. And the law said that any time a decree was made and sealed by the king's ring, once it was sealed, there was no reversing it. And what Haman had done is he had put in place this plan to exterminate 15 million Jews. The king foolishly gave his ring, his signet ring, to Haman. Haman sealed it. And from that point forward, there was no reversing it. And Esther comes to the throne of the king and begs for him to reverse it. But the problem is, he couldn't because of the law of the Medes and Persians. He couldn't. But she, she interceded on behalf of her people. Esther went to the throne of an earthly king. Think about this. Esther goes to the throne of an earthly king to intercede on behalf of her people. What about us? We we have access to the heavenly throne, do we not? And this is a wonderful, God gives us a wonderful picture here of what we call intercessory prayer. The fact that we as individuals can go to the throne of God and pray and intercede on behalf of other people. And and the 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 uh, <clears throat> um, uh, examples are, are multiple in scripture. Uh, in Exodus chapter 32, Moses pleads for God uh, not to kill the children of Israel. That is what we call intercessory prayer. Elijah prayed for the uh, uh, for the disobedient children of Israel in First Kings chapter eighteen for them to get right with God. Uh, Nehemiah prayed for the Jews in Jerusalem in Nehemiah chapter one. Ezra wept and prayed for the children of Israel. Daniel fasted and prayed for the children of Israel. And Isaiah prayed for Israel. And over and over and over. Examples of prayer are given 
of intercessory prayer. But yet in the church today, it doesn't happen very often. R.A. Torrey wrote this, it, it was a master stroke of the devil when he got the church and the ministry so generally, uh, so, so generally to lay aside the mighty weapon of prayer. The devil is perfectly willing that the church should multiply its organizations and its uh, uh, deftly uh, um, contrived machinery for the conquest of the world for Christ if it will only give up praying. Let, let me kind of kind of tell you what R.A. Torrey is saying here. You know, R.A. Torrey has no problem with Grace Baptist Church growing to being 20 million people as long as those 20 million people are not praying. But what does he do to a church that prays? Satan puts the screws on it. Why? Because he understands the power of prayer. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly uh, unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace uh, <clears throat> to help in time of need. Warren Wiersbe wrote this, One concerned person devoted to prayer can make a great difference in this world. For prayer is the key that releases the power of God. See, Satan is not concerned with churches that don't pray. Why? Because they have no power. Luke chapter 1, verse 9. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Let me ask you a question. Two questions. Where, where, where's your hope? Where's your hope? How much time have you spent in prayer this week talking to God? That second question will answer where your hope is. If you are a person who doesn't pray, well, I'm telling you, not likely your hope is in God. Point number three, we see the king's proclamation in verses seven and eight. <clears throat> then the king, uh, then then the king Ahasuerus said unto Esther, uh, the queen, and Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and uh, and him they have hanged upon the gallows because he laid his hand upon the Jews. Write ye also for the Jews as it li uh, liketh you uh, in the king's name and seal it with the king's ring for the writing which is written in the king's name and seal it with the king's ring. Uh, may no man reverse. Okay, let me kind of tell you what's going on here because for time's sake, we're not going to read all of this. But basically what happens is <clears throat> the king gives Mordecai his ring that he, that Haman had had. And he says, in, in, in 21st century vernacular, he just says, basically, I don't want to deal with it. You deal with it. He's passing the buck. 
<clears throat> so the king just basically gives him the ring, says, you deal with it. Mordecai then <clears throat> calls together his uh, um, uh, legal team, if you would, because they had to draft a new decree to override the old decree. Because they you can't, again, because of the laws of Medes and Persians, they couldn't rescind the first one, so they had to make another decree that overrode the first one. So they he pulls together his legal team, they draft this this decree, they distribute it among the 127 providences, and Mordecai's new decree basically comes right out of the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verse 3. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and in these shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, I'm here to tell you, there are elements in our world today that would love to see Israel disappear off the face of this earth. And those elements are in our country. But we as a nation needs to be careful. Because the moment our nation turns its back on Israel, we're done. Period. J. Vernon McGee once said, the Jew has attended the funeral of every one of the nations that has tried to exterminate them. God is in control. Let's say that together. God is in control. The decree goes out to the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire at this particular time is estimated to be about 100 million people stretching from what we know, India, all the way down to Ethiopia. 100 million people the decree goes out to. Now, this is something that's really important in this story that is oftentimes overlooked. But what is the attitude of the people <clears throat> turn turn back, if you would, to chapter 3. <clears throat> chapter 3, verse 15. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> chapter 3, verse 15, the very last part of the sentence, the, or the last part of the verse, it says, but... The sit, well, let's just read verse 15. It says, the post went out. Okay, this is the first decree from Haman, the bad guy. <clears throat> the, fo- the post went out, being uh, hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan the palace, and the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city, uh, 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 Shushan, was what? Perplexed. <clears throat> the people were perplexed. Or, or another word that we could use was they were confused. They didn't understand. Why, why was Haman trying to, to kill all of these people? Of perplexity set in and, 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 and discontentment. And there was, there, was, there was unrest, if you would, among the people. Point number four. The people's perspective. 
Look at, let's go back to chapter 8. <clears throat> Start reading in verse 15. And when Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and uh, white and with a gold crown of gold, <clears throat> excuse me, with a great crown of gold uh, and with a garment of fine linen and purple and the city of Shushan, what? Rejoiced and was glad. The Jew had uh, the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor, and in every province and in every city, where whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a and a feast and a and a good day, and many. Please get this. Underline this in your Bible. And many of the people of the land became Jews. For the fear of the Jews fell upon them. They get, they became Jews not because they feared them in the sense that that like 21st century word fear, but because they they saw the hand of God working in their lives, and they were able to stand back and said, "God is alive." God is in control, and it caused many of the uh, of the people, uh, the hundred million people from India to to Ethiopia, said, "You know what? They've got something that I want. Their God is in control." See, you got to understand that this hundred million people uh, were were prominently <clears throat> pagan. They, they believed in many gods. But when they saw the one true God in control, in the, in, uh, alive and well in the lives of the children of Israel, you know what they said? They said, you know what? We're done with the pagan worship. We are going to trust the one true God. In verse 15, <clears throat> No, I'm sorry, in verse 16. No, I, I am right. It was for verse 15, the very, the, very, the very end. It says, And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. The word glad there literally means that they had a merry heart. So what happened? What happened because of the, the, the second decree that went out? They went from having a confused heart to having a merry heart. Now, let me ask you a question. Was it, the, was it the decree that made the difference or was it the individual that wrote the decree that made the difference? It was the individual. Because what happened with the first decree, it came from a, uh, uh, the, the prime minister, uh, Haman, who hated the Jews. And with hate always comes darkness and confusion. But with Mordecai comes a confidence that the people trusted. Let's look at verse 16 for just a second and because I, 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 I believe that this is really the key to the whole story of Esther. Verse 16. And the Jews had what? Light. 
The Jews had light. Haman brought, brought hatred and vengeance. He brought darkness that permeated a, an entire empire. But Mordecai brought light. And what does light reveal? Light reveals truth. You know, we, we often don't realize it, but light is key in our lives today. Light reveals truth. I, I don't remember when I said this, but I, 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 I could have been last week. I don't remember, but <clears throat> the reality is we can stand in front of a mirror in the darkness and be perfectly content with who we are. Can we not? But what happens when we turn on the light? The truth is revealed, is it not? I mean, we can stand in front of a mirror in the darkness and think, whoa, yeah, Rick, you got it. Can we not? But see, light reveals truth. Light brought gladness, joy, and honor. The word honor here doesn't mean honor in the sense that we necessarily think. It really means value. Because what does everybody want their lives? Everybody wants value, do we not? We all want purpose. What happens to a to a person that has that has no purpose in their lives? They they just may, they just meander their way through life with no purpose, and and there's an emptiness that comes along with that. But when light is a part of our lives, then then gladness, joy, and 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 value come into our lives. Even the pagans could see the hand of God moving in the lives of these people. The evangelist Billy Sunday said this, <clears throat> if you have no joy in your religion, there's a leak in your Christianity. I like that. <clears throat> if, Christian, if Christians believe today, uh, uh, excuse me, if Christian believers today manifest more joy of the Lord, perhaps those outside the faith would, would be attending church and be willing to consider <clears throat> the message of the gospel. What, what's he saying? Many Christians today live their lives as though they were weaned on dill pickles. I know, I know Christians today that have no joy in their lives. What, 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 kind of, what kind of Christianity do you live? Do, 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 do people outside your, your realm uh, see your life and say, I want what they have? Or do they look at you and think, well, you go to church, but there's no there's no joy in your life. Why why would I want to go to church if and and live? 
I can be miserable and not go to church. I don't have to waste an hour and a half on Sunday morning to be miserable. I can stay home and be miserable. What kind of what kind of Christianity do you have? Is it is it a Christianity that is that is from God? Where's your hope? John chapter 8, verse 12 says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I don't know, but it could be that Jesus was referring to this very verse. Don't know. I asked my friend Friday, because uh, Friday he was, <clears throat> I had texted my friend early Friday morning and said, hey, what time is your doctor's appointment today? And he, he, he wrote me back and told me. And I wrote him back one word. I said, I said worried with a question mark. Now, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I was worried because... I know my, you know my friend, and and <clears throat> I, I I love him dearly, and I I I'm thinking, oh man, he's going to have to go through chemotherapy and all of this stuff, and and, and I, I you know I was worried, and I I texted him worried with a question mark, and let me read you what he wrote back. He says, I have real peace in my heart. I believe everything is going to be okay. And this will bring glory to God. Now my question is this. Where is his hope? Is, is, is his hope in his doctor? No. His hope is in the great physician. And what was he telling me in, the, in this text? He's like, he said, at least this is how I read it, Rick. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm okay with it. Because God is in control. That's how I read it. And, and you talk about feeling horrible inside. <laughs> I thought, wow. Here he is facing this, this, this surgery. And I'm more worried about it than he is. What about the pastor friend of mine who stood up at the funeral service of his 20-year-old son and says, I cannot explain where it comes from, but we have peace. I, I can't explain it. In fact, the, the, the reality is, if I could explain it, it wouldn't be from God. God is in control. And in the book of Esther, we see the, the plan of God. It was God who put the right people in the right places at the right time to make everything work out. And as, as you read this story and you see it unfolding, you see the providence of God alive and well. But way, way too often, 
And in fact, you, don't, you, you really don't see it in this story until the end of the story. And there had to have been times when Mordecai and Esther and the rest of the Jews kept wondering, God, where are you? Where, where are you? We, we, are, we are going to die. Why are you not doing something? But the whole time, God was behind the scenes working. And how many times in our lives have we faced situations and struggles and trials and we ask ourselves, God, where are you? And God is sitting in heaven saying, I'm right here. All you need to do is be patient because I'm in control. Praise God for that. Because I guarantee if we were in control, it would be a big mess. Let me close by asking a question. Where's your hope? Where's your hope? 